Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Gallery 44 podcast. I'm Alana Traficante. I'm the director at Gallery 44, and I'm really pleased to share with you this recording of a talk that we held on the occasion of Stephanie Komelang's new exhibition, How to Make a Painting from Memory, which is now on view at Gallery 44 in Toronto until February 3rd. This program brought together Berlin-based artist Stephanie Komelang and Toronto-based curator, writer, and researcher Heather Kenless rigg early in the new year. Komelang and Kenless riggs practices have intersected for a number of years, and it's because of Heather that we are currently showing this work at Gallery 44. Heather and I worked together at G44 from 2018 to 2020. And during that time, she learned of this project that Stephanie was developing, while it was still very much in its nascent stages. Together, along with many other colleagues, we've been dreaming and planning to bring this project to Gallery 44 for almost five years, and I'm so delighted to have finally made it happen. Stephanie Komelang is an artist originally from Toronto, now based in Berlin. Her documentary-based works create narratives that look at how our understandings of mobility, capital, and labor on a global scale are shaped through various cultural and social factors. Stephanie has an extensive international exhibition record, having shown work at the Tate Modern, Hamburger, Banhof, Tai Kun, Hong Kong, International Film Festival, Rotterdam, the Julia Stoschek Collection, and House van der Kuust. Here in Canada, she was awarded the 2019 Sobe Award. Heather Kanlisrig is a curator and writer based in Toronto. She is the artistic director of Contact Photography Festival and is half the curatorial collective MAMA. Her practice explores all mediums and is rooted in investigating how artists employ the materiality of camera technologies to interrogate imperialist structures. Heather and Stephanie have collaborated on a number of projects, including the feature interview with a great title, I Am the Color of Burnt Pineapple Mango Lemon, from C Magazine in 2019, as well as the exhibition Stephanie Komilang and Simone Spicer, titled Pina, Why is the Sky Blue?, which Heather curated at Gallery TPW in 2022. But despite all of these previous collaborations, this was the first time that they had ever done an in-person, in-conversation public program. And for that reason, we're so pleased to be able to distribute it more broadly by way of the Gallery 44 podcast. And so we really hope you enjoy this special edition. Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, yeah, so Stephanie and I have been in Convo for a long time. Um, I've been a fangirl of Stephanie for many years. Um, and yeah, often when I start working with a new institution, I, well, at both Gallery 44 and at TPW, I brought up Stephanie pretty early on, just um, for all the reasons. Um, but we started talking what feels like a lifetime ago, back when 8-11 was on Spadina. And actually, when Stephanie was part of a group exhibition that included Gallery 44, so Gallery 44 did a group exhibition in conjunction with Prefix and Trinity Square Video. Um, it was co-curated by a number of curators, and um, Come to Me Paradise was included there. So that's where I sort of first learned about Stephanie's work. 
Um, and it's always just really exciting to see um, Filipino artists working in Toronto or, or anywhere. And so we sort of started talking. And Stephanie mentioned that she was, uh, Come to Me Paradise was going to be screening at 8-11. So that was sort of my first introduction to sort of being immersed in Stephanie's work was watching Come to Me Paradise at 8-11, which ended up being like a very sort of transformative experience um, being able to immerse myself in that film and learn so much about Stephanie's practice. Um, I'm sure many of you have perhaps seen Come to Me Paradise, um, which, as I mentioned, was in this group show and has screened in the city a couple of times um, and is this really beautiful, fantastical film that really encapsulates Stephanie's practice, which is, you know, we like to use the word documentary a lot because... You know, while Stephanie likes to take up the tropes of documentary, it's her work is very much a, a non-documentary and sort of subverts that whole genre by essentially creating her own genre through the use of um, science fiction and or speculative fiction, as we like to say. And so, um, Come to Me Paradise was very much steeped in that. We also have, you know, Stephanie's you know in incredible use of different types of technologies, different types of camera technologies there. And the film opens with, you know, so classic Stephanie um, sort of drone footage where we have this really lovely, warm narrator um, telling us a story, speaking to us and to others. And in Come to Me Paradise, that opening scene, um, I later learned is narrated by her mother um, speaking Tagalog. And it was this very... Um, intimate experience for me to, you know, my mother, that's my mother's first language and a language that I grew up with. So it was really beautiful for me to sort of experience, like have my sort of worlds collide um, in sort of this contemporary art context. Um, and as, you know, I've worked in lens-based spaces and sort of studied the history of photography. So um, to have this sort of personal experience, but also, you know, to have this artist who's sort of, you know, um, being really transgressive with what this medium of documentary and what a video and what film could be um, was really exciting for me. So that's sort of where we sort of started our dialogue. And I wrote about Stephanie's work a couple of times. And then, um, yeah, I, like there's lots of art folks here. So we all know that like, exhibitions take a long time. So that's why many, many years later, we have this show opening at, at Gallery 44. But yes, in 2018, when I started, I think, you know, my first week, I was like, oh, like maybe we could work with Stephanie Lang. Like, let's do something. And you had this, this project that you were sort of developing around um, Thai Park um, that you were developing. Um, so I don't know if you wanted to comment on that or if I should just jump into a question or... Well... Uh, I just want to say thank you first for um, bringing the project here, you and Alana and Lillian. And, and like, so this is, yeah, 2018, we started talking about the project that you see downstairs, how to make a painting from memory. And it's a project that um, was swirling, was in my brain for a while because I, I moved to Berlin um, in 2012, 2013. And when I moved there, one of the first places that people told me to go to was this place called the Thai Park. And it's this, during the winter months, it's a very nondescript park in um, this area of Berlin um, that's close to the west part of Berlin, to, to Charlottenburg. Um, and um, in the summer, spring, summer months, it turns into this Thai market. So there are women, all women, who are selling food specifically from a certain area of Thailand called Isan, which is a northeastern part of Thailand. So um, at first, you know, you see it and you're like, wow, this is a great place. The food is amazing, one. But then also it kind of brings together a very 
um, diverse group of people from all sort of like walks of life in Berlin. So it's like, you know, like the clubbers who are like just coming back from the club will go and get food there. But then also like, you know, like the white Germans who live in the area will get food there, but then the Turkish people, and then there's lots of Asians that go there too and kind of started selling food. So it's this really, really amazing cross-section of, um, of, um, um, of people that come together for this place. And in a way, it sort of reminded me of Toronto. Like it felt sort of like um, in that sort of like diversity or like cross-section reminded me of Toronto. So it kind of felt like home in a way. Um, and then on like deeper inspection, you know, I, I was like amazed. I love the place so much. But then I was like, why are there, why are there only women who are selling the food? And then also all of them have... Um, like white German husbands, which also I found like kind of weird or whatever. And so this is a, a, a the starting point for me in um, making the work. And that's sort of how I usually start work. Will I'll, I'll like see a place or like um or maybe a building or maybe like how people gather around a building and and um, um, question why they're there. You know, because you could go and just like eat the food, but for me it was like, why are, why is this happening? And so, you know, I did like a little bit of research, and 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 Germany has like quite a high population of Thai people. Um, there's a huge Thai diaspora there, which I also found interesting. Um, and so, the the park started in the 80s, where women would come, Thai women would come, and um, they, they met there to like meet each other, and of course, eventually, with like meeting, you you bring food, and so it, um, and people would walk by and and um, want to buy the food, so they started selling the food, and then it just became bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, but the reason why the women were there anyway was because after the Vietnam War, German and American GIs um, would vacation in this part of Thailand. In the northeastern part of Thailand, and it turned into um, sex tourism. And so, a lot of the women that came over were from uh, for um, from marriage migration. So it's got quite a violent and um, you know it's really complex history that um, talks you know is deeper than just like the parks. So yeah, these are things that I wanted to talk about. But in the film. And in the work, um, you know, you don't see the park, and I don't, the park is mentioned by the women. Like, the women are, are in, in the film, I interview them, but you never see them in the park. I, I, I was having a hard time because I didn't want to necessarily show the park. So then I landed on this idea of having them in detail describe architecturally their family homes in Thailand. So it's this, like, exercise and memory that like we can all do I think like imagine having someone ask you to from memory draw your family home like that's such an for me that's like an interesting exercise to do with anyone so this is one of the things that I landed on when I was talking to the women yeah and remember in terms of just as you said sort of talking with the women um maybe you could share a little bit about how you work with community I mean that's such a really beautiful sort of strong aspect for me of your work is the way that you work with community and build trust and you create space for um, 
women to tell their own story, which is, of course, you know, very much needed if we're thinking about like the history of documentary, the history of photography, of art, of, of anything really. So yeah, if you could tell us a bit about that. Um, and also just maybe second to that um, is how you weave in fiction. Like why is that important to you? And can you share a little bit about how you do that? And sometimes um, the women in the communities that you work with are sort of your collaborators. And while you create space for their own story, sometimes you work with them like to more severe degrees than others in terms of like working with them to sort of, you know, as you said to me before, like their story is always there and that's very much rooted in reality what they're sharing but then there's there are some twists and the severity of those twists into fiction kind of shift and change yeah um yeah maybe i'll i i made a film in 2016 now wow a long time ago come to me paradise which um is a science fiction documentary about filipino domestic workers in hong kong and um yeah, I wanted to, for that film, there was a number of different things that I was, I wanted to talk about. One, I didn't want to, I didn't want to talk about, I didn't want to tell a straight ahead documentary because documentary is very difficult to do, I find. I love documentary and I love the form, but uh, I find it very difficult to just point a camera at someone and like, and then that's it, like that's the story. Um, there's a lot of layering that I do um, to try and tell different perspectives, both literally and physically. So I'll employ different forms of um, cameras. So uh, for that film, I used um, cell phones, which um, are very important for the women because if you can imagine not being able to go home for two years um, because um, they, yeah, they're, they, they just aren't allowed to. So every two years they go home one. So in order to keep in touch with their families, the phone becomes such an important thing. So in my research trips, one of the things that I saw with technology was that the women would, on their days off on Sundays, um, they would have their phones attached to them, like, like this, like we all do, but um, for the whole day, you know, just talking to their families back home. Um, and then also, um, I wanted to use technology that was also very, um, that was ubiquitous, something that we all recognize. So, of course, like, um, forms like vlogging is something that we all recognize, you know, so um, the women are... are in the film are talking to their phones. Um, one of the women that I met, I met through YouTube because I knew that I wanted a vlogging aspect. So through YouTube, I found um, this woman who already had a series of videos that she had made about being a, a domestic worker in Hong Kong, but she was making them for other women who were coming to Hong Kong, which is super interesting, how to save money, um, what to expect, Things like this, but then also things like, um, you know, makeup tutorials and also like, um, yeah, like how to make certain food things. So so things that we all understand. And some of these videos were included in the film. 
Um, and then also I employed the use of a drone, which became a character in the film. And so this is sort of like the science fiction aspect that I was going for, because I knew that I wanted one of the characters in the film to be a spirit. And I was thinking about the perspective of um, what kind of camera I could use. So I think about these things in terms of like... Um, yeah, the perspective of like the character. And so a lot of the times I'm thinking about um, like non-human characters too, um, to employ this, I guess, like fictionalized or science fiction perspective. And to that, maybe you could talk a bit more about like often you, yeah, you, you have, you know, the narrator is sort of this disembodied presence. They're often sometimes a god or, or, or like more loosely a spirit or, or something. And so there's this element, there's this sort of spiritual element that you weave in that through technology becomes this very like beautiful, safe kind of character who's like watching over folks. And um, so maybe you could talk a little bit about that, like why that, why that's important to you. And um, yeah. yeah, I guess, like I said, like the, the, I think about, um, the perspective of like the non-human, I guess. Um, uh, I in 2022, um, I had an exhibition at TPW called Pina Wise the Sky Blue, and um, one of the main characters um, is called Pina, and they exist in um, the sort of VR world, which is in the the far future, and they're sort of this embodiment of. Um, the Babaylan, who are pre-colonial shamans in the Philippines. But also uh, in the piece, we were thinking about um, a object or a thing that traveled um, from South America to Europe to the Philippines as a way of, of like um, connecting all of these places. And the pineapple came up as one of the things that we could use um, as a connector. And so, because the pineapple is this it's kind of during the time had a sort of a high social um, like thing. Like it, no one ever really ate the pineapple because it was so um, rare. You know, they just passed it around from dinner table to dinner table. There was all of these folk tales about it. Um, it's also an interesting fruit because it like eats your mouth. You know, um, and in the Philippines, it it became. Um, used uh, not just for food but for traditional clothing and it became kind of like um, like a Filipino national symbol, I guess. Um, and so we used the idea of piña, pineapple, um, as like a character and an embodiment of what like pre-colonial shamanism could be. And one of the characters is called piña. Uh, did I answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> Because you often include like a sort of spirit or, or God in your work. I was just asking like a pretty personal question, like why that's important to you and like where that sort of came from. So you do answer in terms, in terms of, of Pina, but yeah. um, a couple other threads to that question, I guess. So one thing I love is that you, um, yeah, so we often have this spirit or God that, you know, is sort of like disembodied through this drone. So we sort of see through their eyes Um and so much, you know, your 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 video work is materially very rich in that you use all different kinds of cameras, like including YouTube footage, cell phone footage, you know, a, a traditional camera, um, virtual reality, photogrammetry, um, you know, so, and, you know, with virtual reality and drones, 
in particular, and also thinking about with Pina, thinking about your interest in AI, all of these different technologies that really stem from, um, you know, the military industrial complex that you sort of, you know, subvert those uses through these, you know, the sort of feminist and spiritual ethos, which is so beautiful. So I love that that sort of, you know, that transgression that takes place um, in your work. So if you could maybe, yeah, speak yeah. about that. Yeah, I'm interested in technology because as, you know, like as artists and as we do, you can, we can use that technology um, in the way that we want, which is really fun. You know, we can take, um, you know, what the drone was initially used for, which is surveillance and war, and then um, turn it into a character in a film that um, uses the voice of my mother or something, whatever. You know, like, we can be creative in these ways with technology, which is really exciting. And, and also, like, you know, I think... A lot of the times in like, uh, you know, in film, technology is seen as like a scary dystopian thing, which it is. But I think there, I think for me, it's more exciting to, to kind of use it in my own narrative, which will use technology in a way that is, um, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not thinking about these dystopian things. Even, you know, like everyone's using AI and like, I don't know. I mean, there's just so many amazing things that you can do with it, that we can do with it that makes it exciting, you know. I, I find it exciting to figure out new technologies and like, because like um, the VR that we did at TPW, you know, we found this, I was like, I didn't want to, yeah, like, so I was like, how, what camera can we use? So we found this, like, uh, tiny camera. We shot with a camera that was, like, this big. It was very, very new, actually. And the reason, I mean, this camera basically was used normally for VR porn because it has a super, like, personal way to film. And you kind of, you get that, like, it's it's super personal when you watch the VR, right? Like, it's this one-on-one, -on -one, you can't look away. Um, it's almost, like, almost, like, embarrassing to, like, be able to look at this person so close because you're not allowed to do that in real life. Like, stare at a stranger, but, like, in the VR at, at, that was at TP Double, like, you, you could. And it had this really jarring effect where people would come out of it and, like, kind of be shocked, you know? Uh, so yeah, that's exciting for me. And thinking more about sort of materiality in your work, um, it, I'd say fair kind of recently that you started working more um, three-dimensionally um, with objects. I mean, I think with Pina, that was my first introduction to you, yeah, making objects, um, you know, that are such a beautiful extension of your video work in terms of the way you use different materials and incorporate 3D printing um, as textile. Um, and then how to make a painting downstairs, of course. Um, you know, sculpture is very much foregrounded there. So could you talk a bit about um, sort of, yeah, how you sort of transitioned into to, to sculpture and where you envision that going um, in the future? Yeah. I mean, it's, I started out as a video and film artist, so it was um, interesting to think about things and like material um with this project downstairs you see the houses these small houses um and they came about because of this sort of idea of like i'm always sort of interested in architecture anyway um not necessarily like the actual space but how 
people's relationship to that space is. Um, and so, and how to make a painting. Like I said, one of the exercises that I did was when I talked to the women, I asked them to in detail describe their homes, their family homes. Um, and it kind of came about organically where then um, I went to Thailand to shoot where, um, and then I, I was like, oh, I'm going to um, get an architect that I knew in, in Bangkok to listen to the interviews and then like architecturally draw the um, houses. Because um, I also wanted to talk about these spaces um, for beings that we can't see, which kind of parallel the Thai park, you know. Uh, and then also spirit houses are such beautiful architectural spaces. Um, they're, they're basically, they're Southeast Asian um, architectural spaces that hold spirits. So in Thailand, there's two types. There's a spirit house for your ancestors, so for your family, and then there's also spirit houses for spirits from the land. Um, and that's such a beautiful idea. And you see them everywhere in Thailand. So if you've ever been to Thailand and you see these small houses, they exist outside of businesses, outside of houses, outside of your own family homes, and they're everywhere. And there's also like spirit house graveyards that, because um, you don't really throw them out because they're so holy. Um, you bring them to like the holy tree and so you see like the spirit house graveyard. It's it's really beautiful, this idea, these architectural spaces. So I was obsessed with um, including them and thinking through the Thai park as well um, because they're connected to the women that also, because we talked about these spirit houses as well with the women. Um, and so in Thailand, I, I had a Thai architect draw architecturally the women's houses and from there, I modeled them in Rhino. And then I kind of Frankenstein them together. You know, a house from one woman's, uh, sorry, a roof from one woman's house. And I stretched it, elongated it, and then took a terrace from one other woman's house, and then a room, and then kind of put everything together in this way, mimicking a spirit, a spirit house. Um, and then in the film, you also see... Um, one of Bangkok's um, uh, oldest remaining traditional spirit house maker. Her family had been making spirit houses for 100 years. And so she's in the film as well, speaking about her practice and um, what spirit houses are. And then also on the walls, of course, you see the mural, which is this Filipino um, tradition called Bayanihan. It exists in other places. I, I've actually seen it in other places, but it's this Filipino tradition of um, house moving. So lifting up your neighbor's house as a community and moving it to another place. Um, uh, and it's this community um, experience and event. And um, I, you know, the reason why I included it in the work is because, um, you know, there's a painting that I would always see at like my aunt's and uncle's house. It's a very ubiquitous painting of um, this, Bayanihan. It's very pastoral, you know, like pastel colors and, you know, in like the field or whatever, you see these men carrying a house. And I did a bit of research and realized that after 
being colonized for so long from both the Spanish and the Americans, um, there was a sense of like lost Filipino nationalism that the government wanted to um, create for the Filipinos. So they employed um, Filipino um, master painters of the time to paint idyllic scenes of what it means to be Filipino. And so one of the things was Bayanihan. And so this became, this image became reproduced and reproduced and reproduced so much that even if you're like diaspora Filipino, this is a painting that you bring from home. And um, it's not something that, it's something that I would see in childhood but not really think about. So I wanted to bring this into the equation um, for this work because it spoke really well to um, the ideas of Thai parks, spirit houses, community building, um, and then also, of course, there's the architecture of the house. Um, yeah, thinking more about the, um, the the sculptural houses that are in How to Make a Painting, and I love that they're this sort of beautiful translation of yours from the women's memory into like these literal objects. And so I'm interested in 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 something that you I've seen in your work before, which is this desire to sort of make tangible the intangible. So in this instance, the women's memories. Um, and in Pina, for example, it would be um, you and Simone sort of visualize what, you know, what could this archive that this spirit holds of all of this knowledge and these experiences, um, what could that possibly look like? And, and you used photogrammetry, which is like this beautiful tool to use for that because it's kind of PC and dreamy, um, where we sort of imagine, you know, what that could look like through um, a visual visualizations of um, domestic spaces. So like the interiors of, of women's houses and where they live and bedrooms. Um, and so I think for me, that really points to sort of like the, in the intimate way that you sort of work with people and with communities. Um, and it sort of also sort of acts as like a a, a portrait of of the folks that you're working with. So I just, yeah, I wanted to bring up this idea of like making the intangible tangible. And of course the spirit houses, again, being this sort of love, a, a lovely way of pointing that as well. So this is less of a question, more of a comment. Um, I think it's like um, thinking about like, yeah, moving outside of like film and video and yeah, bringing, I guess, like a physical presence into the work, which is, a, you know, for me, it was hard to, to do because that's not necessarily how I think, you know. So it was um, for Pina. Um, but actually that, that, that happened really organically too with like the um, Pina fabric and the 3D prints on that. Because what we did for that exhibition, because we were thinking about the pineapple piña, in the Philippines, there's a fabric that we use, like I said, for traditional clothing called piña. Um, and then it's this beautiful, um, almost like silk, see-through, translucent fabric um, that, uh, yeah, so I, I, we, me and my partner, Simon, who we collaborated on piña, why is the sky blue together? We thought about um, 3D printing on the fabric, but we used it as sort of like an embroidery machine rather, because with 3D prints, you make 3D objects. But in this instance, we were sort of like um, embroidering um, or sewing on the fabric. So we were creating these traditional weaving patterns from both the Philippines and Ecuador and sort of merging the two and um, through um, 
working with like different softwares, like just like, yeah, like, you know, like working with the weavings and it ended up looking, so it did look quite old, but then new at the same time. Um, so that, yeah, that worked really well. And then also like for the houses, um, yeah, it translated really well because it was uh, a matter of like speaking to the woman and then kind of working from there because I didn't necessarily know that I wanted to make the houses yet. It was, happened during actually, yeah. Um, I just want to sort of shift a little bit to, I mean, you know, we've been, I've asked you so many questions about your work over the years and I feel like this sometimes gets left out because there's so much to cover. Um, and I was reminded of it today when I was downstairs in the exhibition, which is, um, you know, sharing a bit about how you approach sound because, you know, your the soundtracks, if we want to use that word, um, to your work are very distinct, but of course always so different. Um, so yeah, if you want to share a little bit about that, are there certain artists that you always sort of work with and collaborate with? Like what sort of... Yeah, so I live in Berlin and Berlin has a really fun and strong like club scene. So it's interesting to go out because you always hear like kind of weird and odd um, like club music. So a lot of my, um, I guess like when I'm thinking about like how to soundtrack my work, I'll go out and like, I don't know, like listen to DJs or whatever, um, because it really actually goes well with like this, I guess like sci-fi or like, um, yeah, sort of like sci-fi world that I'm trying to build. Um, and I do usually work with the same people. They're friends that I have in Berlin, producers and DJs who um, I'll um, ask to yeah collaborate with or um, on Pina there's um, a producer artist that I work with called Paul Mystery um, and and also Come to Me Paradise I worked with this one uh, producer called YB who's also a DJ um, but yeah yeah it's music is definitely an important thing I started out making music videos actually. And so I think about music a lot, music and image a lot. It's just, it's super important to me. Okay, I'm not. I don't know if I realize that about music videos. Like, like Alana and I did a project about music videos once, so we'll have to if we revisit that, <laughs> um, bring you in. But um, maybe I'll ask one more question before I open it up, um, which is like a little bit more of a zoomed out question. Just thinking about um, you've shown in so many different types of institutions, like the Tate Artist Run Centers, um, you know, places like Eight Eleven. You've screened at major film festivals. Um, so what's it like for you to sort of navigate all the different spaces that you work with, um, and and, and yeah, can you share about how you navigate sort of the different responses to your work depending on like the context? Um, I mean, it's kind of amazing to be able to like go in and out of such different places and countries and contexts. Mm, for instance, like just at the end of the summer, I showed in um, an exhibition in Prague at like the National Museum. And like, there's very little like Asian diaspora there, but uh, I showed Come To Me Paradise installation there. Um, and it was, the thing is like the work that I do translates really well in so many different contexts because it's, I'm talking a lot about what home means. And I think that's something that everyone can relate to. Um, 
Also, I talk about things, themes of migration, which are themes that I think so many people can relate to. Um, and also, I talk about technology, which is something that everyone is so familiar with. So, um, I think just the things are just quite, they're, they're, they're very relatable, I find. And so, um, in some ways, it doesn't matter if there's like no sort of like Asian diaspora, Filipino diaspora, although that's kind of an amazing thing because there aren't a lot of um, Filipino contemporary artists showing internationally. And so when I do show in a place like the Tate, I'll always have young Filipino artists come up to me and say, I've never seen anyone like you. And that's such an amazing um, thing. And experience because it's true I, I never had that when I was growing up um, the first time that I saw a solo contemporary show um, at a museum was in Dubai at the Jamil Art Center where I was screening my film alongside Pasita Abad who is actually having um, a show here at the AGO soon and she's incredible she's an, she's an amazing Filipina um, textile artist who is now just becoming more and more popular. But um, yeah, so that was the first time. And that was in like 2021 or something like that. So two years ago, which is crazy. So um, yeah, I feel really happy to be able to, and lucky to be able to show in such diverse places um, and then to reach such a diverse audience. Um, yeah, maybe we can open it up if there's any questions from anyone. Uh, yeah, I'm actually curious about uh, your relationship to uh, music that you speak to, sort of as this sort of quasi-futuristic kind of, um, you know, music that sort of, you know, techno and house music sort of have these qualities, but have you thought about them in terms of uh, community? Because community is so important in uh, in your work, and it's sort of, you know, a reoccurring theme. And for me, this music actually speaks to uh, to community communities of strangers that sort of, you know, gather and then, you know, embark on, you know, different forms of friendships or relationships. But um, yeah, there's uh, really that, you know, that aspect has been sort of really sort of vital to that type of electronic music. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe for me, it's just about like the community maybe exists more in like me going out to um, these events where, yeah, you can, and there's such a wide range of like, community in Berlin too regarding like club music um so I think for me that's like where I guess maybe the community lies and they're friends as well so it feels like um like being able to tap friends for music you know working with the community yeah I was just wondering what the reactions of the participants in the documentary have been of the final products and like even the houses and things like that um, good, I think. Yeah, good. Um, they're, they're quite different from the houses that they initially described. Um, but it's always, I mean, it's always pretty positive, you know? Um, and also, yeah, like, um, I'll spend quite a bit of time before, like, um, like for this project, um, I was like, I met, I met with the women and then we had like multiple meetings of like 
because initially I didn't even know exactly what I wanted to do. So we just like met and talked. Um, and so it was over a few um, meetings with them that we sort of formed the project. Um, yeah, but the response is, is, is pretty good. And yeah. <laughs> so there, I noticed there's also a lot of um, supernatural themes in your work, like these sort of disembodied characters. And I'm curious if um, you've had a lot of supernatural experiences. Crazy because uh, the first time I went to Thailand, or no, no, first time, but I went there for this project called the Ghost, Ghost um, Triennale, which is uh, put on by Korakrit, Arunandachai. And uh, he is a, a festival for um, video art and performance. And so I showed... Come to me paradise there, but I rented this Airbnb while I was there. And like the first night I was sleeping and, uh, like the, I felt the covers pulled off me. Uh, and I was like having trouble going back to sleep. I mean, I was jet lagged, but like it was kind of freaky. And then the next day I went into the gallery to install and I just, I told everyone who was working there, curator, crit, um, op, everyone at, um, Bangkok city city and, uh, Immediately, everyone had the same reaction of like, um, you need to offer something to the spirit house outside of your building. And that's what everyone said. Everyone, everyone who was Thai told me to do the, the exact same thing. So that was the first time that I started thinking about spirit houses in like a real way. Um, uh, so that was something, yeah, that's, and that was, um, it was kind of amazing, you know, like, uh, they're like, you have to bring flowers. But on that day, uh, it was a holiday, so I couldn't get flowers anywhere. And I was like running around the city, like frantically before going to bed, trying to find flowers. <laughs> Eventually I did, but the only flowers I could find were like huge bouquets of like orchids. So I bought like five pounds <laughs> and like put them on top of the spirit house and nothing happened that night. So... Um, but in the Philippines, of course, I mean, in everywhere in Asia and so many other places, stories of spirits are everywhere. Um, in the Philippines, there are co very common spirits called duende, and they're small, very mischievous. You know them, um, and you know them too. Um, spirits who live in like rocks and trees. And my dad would talk about how. Growing up, they would tease his sisters, my aunts, because they had um, a crush on them. They had crushes on them, these duendes. So they would like steal things from the room and like bring things to their bed. And my dad said he would see like rocks rolling across to the floor. And, you know, very, these are common stories in the Philippines. Um, hello. Uh, first of all, I wanted to say I find your duende story very relatable. Um, yeah, I am also a victim of the mischievous um, acts of these duende, but um, I have two questions. So the first one is, um, do you ever go back to the Philippines for more inspiration and how often do you go back and um, what places do you find uh, most inspiring or interesting? And then the second question is, um, your work explores a lot of, yeah, as we mentioned, like themes of migration, labor, community and all that. Um where do you see yourself branching out in terms of like topics or stories that you want to start telling? Thank you. Um, yeah, I was just back in the Philippines um, in October 
November, shooting something new. Um, and for that work, I'm, I'm, I'm doing new work about, um, Filipino seafarers. So again, looking at labor because 25 of the, 25% of the, the world's population of seafarers are from the Philippines. Um, so I'm really interested in like, uh, why and like, um, the history. So the history too, I'm looking at the Magellan trade routes. So between Acapulco and Manila. So I was in Mexico as well, shooting there. The project also entails uh, butterflies, um, monarch butterflies, who are the longest migrating insects in the world. So um, looking at that. Um, and where do I draw inspiration? I mean, there's a rich history everywhere. <laughs> I mean, the, yeah, the Philippines, I'm looking at this right now. Um, uh, and, um, and the relationship between the Philippines and, and Mexico um, is what I'm working on now. Hi, so uh, Stephanie, I do have a question about this particular iteration, uh, this exhibition, is that I noticed the show was intentionally using the architecture of the space to, and you make it very immersive, such as the, the, the screenshot is like a complete cover the wall. And I think the screening room, isn't the floor change for the screening because it's kind of reflective, right? Can you speak a bit more about the use uh, of this like architectural space, the use of space in your show? Because it, your work also made a lot of reference to different uh, architectures of very scale. Uh, this is the first time I've actually used the murals like that um, um, all around the room. And I just want to try something different with thinking about space. Um, it's interesting though, because these are, yeah, they're screenshots from the film and it's, you know, it, we do this all the time when we like um, zoom in to an, to an image. Um, so it's kind of doing that. Um, the, the, actually the, the video that you see again is taken from um, uh someone who uh, had the video on YouTube, actually. So I found her on YouTube and got permission to use the film. Because actually finding Baya Nihan moving is actually super hard. Um, and so I was, like, looking online. But um, I like this idea of, like, being engulfed in the space. And I feel like wallpaper can do that so well and so quickly. Um and you kind of get a sense of space when you're sort of engulfed in this sort of space. Um, so, you know, it was a bit of an experiment because I'd never done it before. Um, and then also the floor. Uh, I'm really into like mirrored floors. <laughs> I think it, um, I, I was thinking a lot about this with like, um, like the spirit houses also and mirroring them into the floor. Um, I think aesthetically it works, for me it worked really well with like the mirroring and the sort of reflections of like the spirit houses as well. So it was an aesthetic thing. Um, and it also, yeah, I think that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, maybe I could just, um, to close, pose, something we were talking about the other day as a, as a question, um, which is kind of a basic question, but it's a very important one, which is um, what advice do you give to emerging artists? 
Yeah. Uh, I think one of the things is to figure out what kind of artist you want to be. And so that itself is a difficult question. Um, I think like thinking about like uh, how important being a local artist is also how important being an international artist is and figuring out, you know, how you fit within these realms, where you want to be situated and what kind of context do you want to be in is really important. And that really helps kind of in figuring all of that stuff out. Um, Cause it's hard. It's really hard. It's kind of like this, this undying belief in yourself. You know, it's really this thing that you kind of have to keep going at, you know, it's, it's hard. But I think one of the questions is, is what kind of artist do you want to be? That's sort of like an important one for me. On behalf of Gallery 44, I am sending gratitude to Heather and Stephanie for that amazing conversation. I also want to acknowledge support from the Canada Council for the Arts for the production of this podcast. For our listeners, the exhibition How to Make a Painting from Memory is on view at Gallery 44 in Toronto until February 3rd. If you're listening from further afield or after the exhibition has closed, you can visit our website, gallery44.org, for documentation photography. This podcast is co-produced with Caden Wigston, edited by Aaron Hutchinson, and music is by Respectful Child.